Welcome back, we hope. Um, we're experiencing technical difficulties, uh, so thank you for being patient with us. We understand that uh, this makes the experience more challenging and maybe even more frantic, um, but the feed went down and then we had to reboot it, and here we are now, and we're not exactly sure what the issue is, so if we go dark again, if it drops out again, we will continue with the message and then the plan will be to upload everything here uh, as soon as we can this afternoon. Um, but we're going we're gonna to roll with it. We're going to um, pray in just a moment and trust that God uh, will use whatever this ends up being in a way that will bless and serve you. But we really do hope that we can um, make it through the remainder of our service without any more hiccups. Um, go ahead and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Psalm 121. Uh, I was talking to our lead pastor, David Clark, and just kind of processing this entire experience. And we've been in a series where we're really walking our way through the entire storyline of the Bible, and there's a tremendous value for that. And we've been using a children's storybook Bible to accomplish that uh, and, and, and letting the stories that are coming out in our weekly readings really shape the way that we've been doing our messages. Uh, but given the current events in our culture, I just asked if I would have permission to kind of go rogue and uh, begin to look at some other passages that I just felt were important for us in this moment. And so if, uh, we're doing right now kind of a mini-series called Psalms That Steady Our Hearts. And last week we looked at Psalm 23. Uh, this morning we're looking at Psalm 121. Lord willing, next week we'll look at Psalm 11. And we're just allowing for the Psalms to really shape the way that we're processing this entire experience. That will lead us right up to Resurrection Sunday, uh, Easter weekend. And at that point, we'll begin a new series called Stories of Hope. And um, we'll, we'll begin walking through some of the different passages in Scripture that can instill hope in us, uh, no matter what's going on. And so that's what we're up to, Psalm 121. If you've got a Bible... I'm going to read it, and then we will pray and get to work. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, right now, we pray that you would speak to each of our hearts, that you would steady our hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take the words on these pages and the words coming out of my mouth and that you would take them and apply them to each person who is tuning in online right now. Help them to hear from you. Help them to navigate this season according to the way that you're leading them and guiding them through it. We pray, God, that you would use this time in your word to bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, in this psalm, we really have kind of two ideas that, that emerge. You see right on the front end that the Lord is a helper. 
The Lord is my helper. And then in verses, uh, I believe it's three all the way through the end, three through eight, you see that the Lord is a guardian. So let's get to work at looking at these different concepts that are put before us. The Lord is my helper. We see that in verses one and two. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Here's what's going on. Built into the psalm is this assumption that there is trouble. If life is going swimmingly, if life is smooth, if there are no issues, what are the things that we do? We don't usually ask for help. I don't know. I'm pretty stubborn. I probably got it from my dad and uh, others as well, but I don't like asking for help. If there's a way that I can do it, then I try to do it on my own. In this psalm, we're hearing the voice of this psalmist saying, there is trouble. That's an assumption that's built into the very fabric of the psalm. I lift my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. So we are in a situation right now where there is trouble. You know, maybe a few weeks ago or a month ago, when I would hop on the news and I would check out what was going on in the world and I saw things happening in Wuhan and I saw things in Italy, I, you know, I, I, I naively thought, Maybe this won't even visit our nation, uh, but now it's here. Uh, I remember following a, a guy that I follow on, on Twitter, and he's a very calm leader. He's, he's a very careful thinker. I don't know if you're familiar with Andy Crouch, but he, he, he was on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago, and he began to talk about drastic measures that we need to take. And I felt in that moment that and I wonder if he's just overreacting. I've never seen him react to anything with, with, with this measure of um, excitement about the things that are going on. Well, my point is, a few weeks ago, it might not have felt like trouble was coming our way, but it is here. And it's here in a variety of different forms. Obviously, we're dealing with a global pandemic. And we're, we're dealing with the threat of people in our community contracting a virus. We're dealing with the trouble of what if it begins to spread through our medical communities and then through our neighborhoods and there's fear and there's concern and there's worry. And so the question for us is a very significant question in this moment. There is trouble. Where are we going to look to for help? And certainly God is the God who uses means. And so we should be praying and we have been praying that People would develop a way to diagnose the sickness and to treat it. We've been praying for preventative things that can help uh, us in the future to deal with COVID-19. Uh, some of the trouble is in the financial realm with the... Uh, and so there's a financial trouble. And we should be praying that God would use means to meet needs, that you know the stimulus package would come and it would be helpful and all those sorts of things. But at the, at the end of the day, what I want to suggest to you is that we need to be a people who not, who not just look to the means for our salvation, but we're looking to the author of life himself. Where does our help come from? It comes from our maker. We need to be the ones who are looking to him and trusting that he can use these different tools and instruments and means to help us. But we ultimately should be saying, my salvation is not in a check coming in the mail. My salvation is not in a cure. My salvation is in the author of life itself, my maker, my creator, my God. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. I hope that you would be able to adopt that kind of language and be able to say, 
There is trouble. And I'm lifting my eyes, wondering where help is going to come from, but I can confidently say, my help comes from the Lord. I hope that you can own that. Now, he is capable of the task at hand because he is our creator. Look at verse 2, the maker of heaven and earth. If you think about it, he is the author of life. He is the creator. He is the one who at the very beginning made things as we understand them. And there was a goodness about his creation. So he is the maker. He is the one who built us and built this world that we live in. And he declared over it its goodness. And surely if he can create the world that was so good, he can recreate it. He can restore it. He can heal it. As I mentioned, we were going through a series that really takes us from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. And that is one of the most helpful things that we can do. Uh, at least in my experiences, I've counseled people to show them how the Bible is a story that all hangs together. And at the front end, I'm going to give you, instead of doing an 11-week series, I'm going to give you a 90-second version. But at the front end, you've got God creating the world and creating humanity in his image, and it is very good. And then there's a disruption in that goodness, that something came in and contaminated that experience. And it was so traumatic that God himself in Genesis chapter 6 was talking about how he was grieved by it, that there was a brokenness in the creation itself, and it manifested in all kinds of different ways. Sickness and sin and death and anger and hostility and all these different things. And God looks at that, and he has a plan to undo the effects of the curse and sin. And the Bible storyline really is a storyline of God showing us how he is ultimately one day going to restore what he initially made. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And the Bible story is the story of God sending his very own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save it, to redeem it, to restore it, to remake it. Um, in, in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that creation itself is groaning, awaiting for the adoption of the children of God. Creation itself is kind of reeling on account of the curse and sin. But then you get to the very end of the Bible. You see in the middle that God sent his son in love, and he was doing that in a way that was bringing about restoration. But then when we look forward to the age to come, at the very end of the Bible, the final chapters of the Bible give us an incredible vision for what is to come. Revelation chapters 21 and 22 give us a picture of the city of God coming down from heaven. And God is going to take up residence with humanity and with the world that he's made. And it tells us that there's one who's going to wipe away tears. And he is going to do away with sadness and sin and sickness and death for the old order of things is passing away. And there is one who's on the throne who says, I am making all things new. We have help from the Lord and he is the one who is going to fashion for us a new heavens and a new earth, and he's going to be there together with us, and there will be no virus. There will be no sickness. There won't even be death there. There won't be a sun either, for the Lord himself is our light. And God is giving us then this picture of what he's doing, that he one day will make that come true. And so when we think about it and we look at the chaos in our world right now, we wonder to ourselves, there's trouble here. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He's the maker who is able to make all things new for his glory. Well, the Lord is 
my helper. He's also my guardian. He is the one who watches over us. You see it, actually, if you're looking at verses 3 to the end, that's where we see that idea promoted. The Lord is a guardian. Uh, Five times in six verses, that word or that phrase shows up of God being the watcher, the one who watches over us. Let me me give you a sampling here. In verse 3, it says, he who watches over you. In verse 4, it says, he who watches over Israel. In verse 5, it says, the Lord watches over you. In verse 7, it says, he will watch over your life. In verse 8, it says, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going. Here's what it's saying. God is a guardian who is giving oversight to your experience. He is the one who is watching over you. He is the one who's caring for you. He, he sees all things. He knows all things. He is for you and he is good. Then he is your guardian, your guardian. Now, he's a guardian who is, is very good at what he's doing. First off, he's a guardian who never takes a break. Look at verse 3. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Look at verse 4. Also, it says, indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here's the point. He is watching over you, and he's not going to take a break. He's watching over you, and it's not that he's ever going to clock out or take a nap or, or, or relieve himself from his responsibility to care for you. I've been telling this story pretty often lately. In fact, Dad and I sat down, we did a podcast around this topic, but uh, it's come up numerous times since then as well. There was a time back in 2007 when we went on a short-term mission trip to Nairobi, Kenya. And we were flying there, and while we were still in the air, there was an election that was going on, and everything was going well, apparently, but by the time that we landed, the election kind of went sideways. There were two prime candidates who were in the running for the president of of Kenya, and it looked like one person was going to win, and then all of a sudden, another person kind of rushed ahead in in the polls and declared himself to be the victor of that presidential election. And in Nairobi, Kenya, it's a tribal place. There are over 50 different tribes there. And so the leaders represented these different tribes. And when that election occurred and we landed there, there was hostility between these different tribes now, and they began to fight each other. And they began to kill each other. And so we landed into a place of turmoil and hostility. And we had to quickly get ourselves to a, a place of safety. We had to go out to a, a property outside of town, and we were, we were on a lockdown. We, we were there for a couple of weeks, um, m- maybe even longer, but we were there, and we weren't able to go out and do the things that we would normally do in that area. And so we had to pay guards, and this, was kinda, this is kind of normal there as well, but there's a fence around the property, and then you pay guards to stay up at night and to watch the perimeter and to keep you safe. And obviously, we made it out of that experience okay. We came, we didn't, you know, it was a challenging time because we didn't have internet, and we didn't have cell phones, and we didn't have the ability to communicate. We basically were in the dark in Kenya for that extended period of time. And people back home were obviously freaking out and troubled by the whole thing, but we ended up safely returning home. Now, here's one of the things that I have learned having been to Kenya a bunch of times, and I think it was a different time, but we pay these guards to watch the perimeter of the property. 
and they, they're supposed to sleep during the day, so they're prepared at night, and, and then they kind of, you know, keep eyes on everything. They're keeping the people safe, and we go into the, into the missionary home, and we lock, lock everything up, but um, sometimes we'd go out to the guard post, and we would find the guard sleeping, and he'd be like, dude, you, you, we are paying you. You need to wake up. And we understand the challenges as they're trying to work multiple jobs and provide for their families and do different things. And we understand that it can be an exhausting way of life for them. But we're saying to them, you need to be awake. This is, our safety is in your hands. And God here is saying, the psalmist is saying that God is a guardian who never takes a nap. You're never going to walk out and find him slumbering. You're never going to you know, begin to pray to heaven and say, God, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm uh, sorry, I'm, I'm really groggy right now. I'm sleeping. What happened? God is the guardian who never takes a break. He watches over you and he will not slumber. And not only is he a guardian who never takes a break, he's also a guardian who has capably led others. Look again at verse four. It says, indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber, the one who watches over Israel. This is an invitation to think about how God has capably led his people throughout the ages. If you read the Bible, if you read the story of how God gave oversight and leadership and protection to the Israelites, it really is an incredible story. He did it in a variety of different ways, and oftentimes he did it in a way that was surprising, that that the Israelites couldn't take any credit for. But he led them. He, he capably led others. He led Israel. He's led other believers. Maybe you don't have that personal testimony yet of a history of God leading and guiding and watching over you. But you can look at the experience of others. You can look at the experience of, of myself and, and our family and our friends who went to Kenya and God watched over us. He guarded us while we were there and he brought us safely home. You can look at the experience of the church throughout the ages. I know we say this is an unprecedented event, but really there have been other seasons in the life of our world where similar things have happened. Obviously not identical things, but similar things have happened. For instance, just over 100 years ago, there was an epidemic that's called the Spanish flu, the, the Spanish influenza. And it ravaged the eastern uh, coastal places and churches had to shut down and theaters had to shut down and schools had to shut down. And it was very, it was eerily similar to what we're going through today. In fact, there's a sermon by a guy named Francis Grimke and over the past couple of weeks, I've been reading it over and over again. But when he describes what they went through and they didn't have the internet and they didn't have cameras to talk into and to broadcast stuff, over the internet, they simply had to shut down and, and wait it out. And when they finally be, resumed meeting, I believe this is from November 3rd, 1918, Francis Grimke began to speak into that experience. And my point is, there is a history of God's capability to guard and lead his people. That There have been times throughout the history of the church where people have gone through traumatic things like this and God has seen them through it. He is a capable guardian. Francis Grimke, he puts it like this. He says, uh, this is in that sermon as he's reflecting on 
everything that has happened, he says, I have been asking myself the question, what is the meaning of it all? What ought this experience mean to us? Is it to come and go and be no better or wiser? Surely God has a purpose in it, and it is our responsibility to find it out. For as we may, uh, it's, our, it's, it's our responsibility to find it out and what purpose it is and to try to profit by it. He's basically saying, look, we went through this thing and now we're on the other side of it. Let's make sure that we learn from it. God is able to capably lead us through this. Let's make sure that we learn from this experience and press into God and find out more of his goodness and his character, his love for you, his ability to watch over you. He is a guardian who never takes a nap and he capably has led others. But he also issues in this psalm an invitation to personalize that relationship. Look at verse 5. It says, the Lord watches over you. The psalmist is beginning now to apply it to all these people who will be singing this as they make their way up to Jerusalem. And he's saying, not only has God been faithful for others, not only has he capably led others, but he's saying, the Lord is watching over you. I worked in student ministry for something like 13 or 14 years, working with teens and youth in a youth group and an action sports ministry. And one of the main hurdles to overcome when you're working with youth is to help them take an idea of faith and personalize it so that they don't just know about God and they don't just know what Jesus did on the cross, but they actually say, he's my Lord. He's my moment. I hope that you would hear that invitation, that if you've never trusted in Christ before as your Lord and your Savior, that you would recognize that this is an opportunity where he's saying, I want to be your Lord. I want to be your guardian. I want to be the one who watches over your soul. And I hope that you would take this opportunity to respond with faith and to invite him to be that guardian for you. He's a personal guardian. He's also a comprehensive guardian. He's able to deal with us and all of the challenges that we face. Look at verses 5, halfway through it, all the way through verse 7. It says, The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that he's contrasting these ideas. You've got the daytime and the nighttime. He's, God is able to give you comprehensive care. Everything that you're going through, he is suitable for the task. He can, he can handle this. He, he can keep you from all harm, verse 7. And it's not saying that he's going to give you a, a you know, free pass, that you don't have to go through any harm. He's just saying that God is able to guard you through whatever harm you might face. And he's able to keep watch over your life. And again, it's that idea that it's your entire life. God is a guardian who gives us comprehensive care in all sorts and all fashions. Uh, the, the, the sun and the moon here are contrasted to show us that God is able his scope of care applies to every single circumstance we might face. Now, on the one hand, there are challenges that are obvious. Um, the place where the psalmist is speaking from, the geography is a de desert wilderness. So when it talks about God being a shade, this is a very apt analogy. It's saying God will shield you from the sun itself. He will protect you 
in the desert wilderness, you need something that's going to protect you from the sun. I've seen people before having heat stroke, and it's a traumatic experience. And it's saying God is able to, to protect you from those obvious things, those obvious things that are going on in our world right now, the things that are traumatic to us and that fear that we might have, God is able to protect us there. But he's also able to protect us from the moon, which is a weird concept, but he's able to protect us from any of the threats that might come, not only by day, but by night. Now, the moon, I was looking this up, and, and uh, this is very relevant for our situation. We, we use a, a word in a derogatory way called a lunatic, but it actually comes from the idea of the moon and this idea of lunacy, which means of the moon or to be moonstruck. That we, we used to describe of people with mental illness as those who've experienced lunacy, that there's something going on with them and they are you know, up at night and they can't sleep and they, they, they lose a, a perspective of reality. And God is able then to watch over not, us, not only us by daytime, but by night. Man, as this thing drags on, we are going to experience emotional trauma. We're going to experience things that we need God's provision and his care over us as we feel like we might be going crazy. We, we've lost normal and natural interactions with the world around us, and we have to trust that God is able to care for us even in those moments that he's looking after us, that he's taking care of us. And, and, and we have to acknowledge when we are fighting those battles. Church family, I mean, if you are dealing with shades of mental illness right now, if you're feeling off, please make it known. God is your guardian who is caring for you and he's given you his body, his church to, to join him in those efforts. So make it known what you're going through right now so we can support and come alongside you in this time of need. God is a comprehensive guardian. He's also an eternal guardian. Look at verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. God is the one who can keep you in this moment, both now, but he's also the one who's watching over you forevermore. And this is the secret sauce of Christianity. This is the idea that Christians understand that will be cared for forevermore. And I actually believe that too few Christians believe this anymore. We are following God and the risen Jesus Christ who resurrected from the dead and lives evermore. And too many Christians have forgotten this significant aspect of our faith. Christians are people who recognize that God is caring for us today and will care for us forever. And Christians who get this actually become invincible. This is why Christianity grew and spread at the pace that it did. Christians actually believed that Jesus was alive, they crucified him, he was really dead, and he came back from the dead, and they know that that's their experience too. That one day, even when they expire and their physical bodies get buried in the ground, they understand, but I will resurrect just like my Lord. I will live forever. He will watch over me. He will keep me forevermore. Now, when people believe that, it really does change them. So way back in uh, AD 200s, there was a plague in Rome. The AD 200 and 300, there was a plague in Rome. 
And um, it was a devastating one. People were getting sick and dying, and the numbers during the height of the pandemic were something like 5,000 people a day dying. Now, here's what the Christians did. They, because they believed in the resurrection, because they believed that God was their guardian, both in the momentary experience of the day, but also for all of eternity, they went toward those in need. While other people were stepping back and saying, we don't want to catch the plague, we don't want this to go through our community, Christians were the ones who said, look, we're invincible. We'll serve the community right now. And so they're the ones who offered medical assistance, and they're the ones who would take the bodies of the deceased and offer them a proper burial. The Christians were the ones who moved toward need in that time because they believed in the resurrection. They believed that God was going to guard them forevermore. It became such a reality about Christians caring for the sick and the deceased that Emperor Julian, who was not a Christian and hated the fact that so many people were becoming Christians, he was frustrated by their charity and by their work. And he wrote at one point, he said, it's a disgrace that these impious Galileans, he's talking about the Christians, the followers of the way. He said, it is a disgrace that they support not only their own poor, but ours as well. He's looking at the Christians and he's saying they're outpacing all of our efforts. They are caring for people because I don't understand, but they, they're, they're moving toward those who are in need and they're not fearful. In this moment, I want to suggest to you that one of the ways that we can steady our heart is to understand that God is our God, not only for the moment, but forever. And I'm not saying we should be irresponsible in this moment and, and break those different shelter in place issues and, um, you know, be uncaring and unloving toward our neighbor. But here's what I'm saying. If you want to steady your heart, lay hold of the doctrine of the resurrection. If you are a Christian and you believe that Jesus died and rose for you and he promises that that's your experience too, you're invincible. And here's why you can believe it. Because our Lord actually did it. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose. And so we can trust in him. And we can believe in him. The Lord is our guardian. And the Lord is Jesus Christ, the one who came back from the dead, the one who defeated sin, death, sickness, and the grave. Let's trust in him. Let's believe that he can care for us perfectly in this moment. So would you pray with me, please? Lord, help us to trust in your ability to care for us. Help us to really believe that you are our helper, that you are our guardian, and that you are up to the task. Steady our hearts, Lord. We pray for Jesus' sake, and we pray in his name. Amen.